All right, folks, welcome back to Season 5, the December episode of the Cast. And boy, do we have a gift for all you out there today. Friend of the show, the great Karando Mitsutaki. Love that guy, gentleman and a half, great filmmaker. Um, popping into the show to talk about his new film, Lion Girl. You know, we got a little bit, it's been a little bit since he's, he hasn't been on this show in a couple of years. COVID shut down the world, ladies and gentlemen. COVID shut down the world. Um, so we caught up a little bit with the Maniac Driver film as well, which is another masterpiece of cinematic endeavors. And uh, always a pleasure, man. Carando's a great dude. Love talking to him. Great guy. Knowledgeable. Knows his shit. Not afraid to talk about stuff that people might not want to talk about, but is very real and kind of damaging to indie filmmakers. So it's good that people talk about these things. Um the elite clash trying to put their cigarette butt out on us, man. They're trying to put their cigarette butt out on us. Um, which yeah, is- we're, the, we're the John Benders of uh, of indie filmmaking. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Alexander Hawk, how you doing over there? Doing good? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing all right. We're coming fresh from the set of The Wicked Hollows, new film in the works. Um, just about done with the wrap on it. By this time, we'll probably be done by the time you catch this. But uh, it's been a journey, you know, a lot of great crew and cast up on this thing. I should have said cast first. But why? Boombastic cast. That's why. Now, a lot of great people on the film uh, went at it, doing it big. And I uh, can't wait to be able to let you all see that, you know, some good stuff. But like I said, we got a great guest with us today, uh, Carando. Love Carando, dude. And I can't say how much I, I love Carando. I know he's getting into the merch game a little bit. I want a plushy toy of Corando. I think that would be great. If we can get one for our boy James Balsamo, we can get one for Corando Mitsutaki. You know what I mean? For sure. Um, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Alex, do you want to say anything before we bring the man in? Uh, nothing other than um, he's a very, ta- a very talented uh, filmmaker. Um, he's also done some acting. He's yeah. He uh, was in two episodes of the uh, series Heroes, which yeah. was really cool. Um, but, I mean, one of the uh, great things I like about uh, about him is he, he watches films and they're uh, homages to, you know, America cinema, Japanese cinema. I mean, it, you know, uh, he has a lot of uh, influences like Gallo. Um, and he he brings all those influences and he melds them together, and I really appreciate that as not only as 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 an artist myself but also as a viewer because uh, you can always watch someone who like has like one type of influence and you see it throughout their film, but a lot of times you don't see multiple different influences from either different cultures or different artists and putting them together themselves is making a new art, making a new form. And that's what, what he does. And that's why I like his films because it's taken stuff that we've seen before and putting them together. But by doing that, he's making something new. He's making something original. And that is what I really like. You know, I always love when a, when a filmmaker wears his influences on his sleeves and you can watch it and pick up on the influences and the little homages and stuff like that because you know you're dealing with 
a filmmaker that's a fan of film, you know, oftentimes, you know, we've, we've ran into filmmakers before in the world, which is crazy that, that they don't filmmakers that don't like film, that don't own a lot of film, you know, don't, you couldn't tell you things from movies and their movies are usually pretty soulless, you know what I mean? You can usually tell. So like, you know, it's, 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 it's like filmmaking by numbers. Pretty Um, much. Pretty much. And, and of course I'm, I'm not trying to bash but uh, a lot of them that at least I've I've known that are like that uh, come from film school. A lot of them, better. yeah. Sometimes a lot of them, and film school. Uh, when people ask me about whether they should do film school, whether they should spend the money for it, my advice is, and of course it's not the right advice for everybody, but my advice is. Film school is great for the connections. If you want to just know the basics of making a film and you want to do a hundred episodes of the latest sitcom, go to film school. That's perfect for you. Won't expect anything from you. Just show up and know the basics. But if you want to do something new, you want to actually make film. You want to inspire. You want to inspire, inspire a new generation of yeah. filmmakers. You got to be creative. You got to break the mold. You got to, you got to be not safe with your filmmaking. Yeah. You, you, you got, you got to, you got to get in the trenches. You got to, I mean, uh, you got to make film on your own because when you go into a school setting, Unfortunately, they they hate creatives. They hate being creative. All they want to do is like, hey, this is a camera. You point at this. Here's a two shot. Here's a three shot. This is, you know, over shoulder shot and, and all, which is stuff you do need to know, but yeah. you can pick that up from watching any film. And, and that'll save you a good, you know, I don't know, $10,000 at least for a semester. Well, we won't go too heavy on that because this is a Carano's episode and who knows where he falls with opinions on film school. I know he went to film school, so he probably finds a little bit of um, value in them. You know what I mean? And there's definitely value in film school. Uh, I think what Alex is trying to say is, you know, he was trying the biggest we've talked about on the show before. We think the biggest upside of film school is the connections like Alex was saying and. I think nowadays with social media, every town has their own community of filmmakers. I think we both are, are very strong believers in the best way to learn anything is to get out there and just do it. You know what I mean? Trial and error. You might do make some short films. They might not be worth watching. You know, and we've all had them. They might not, you know, but you're learning. You're learning how to do this, run this equipment. You're learning how to deal with actors. You know what I mean? You're dealing, how, learning how to deal with issues as they come up. Stuff that you don't really learn in the classroom. But I'm sure there's there's value in film school. That's what they say. Um, I've got a lot of the books that you would get in film school. So uh, Mr. Rogers taught me how to do films. All right. Fred Rogers used to come over my house and teach me how to do fucking films. And he'd have his, ta- his Marine tattoo showing. And I'd say, he'd say, Matt, don't worry about the tattoo, brother. And I'd say, Mr. Rogers, you the man, Mr. Rogers. And he'd pat me on the head and say, that's right. That's right. Um, rest in peace, Mr. Rogers, legendary character. Alex watched the documentary, which I, I heard was good. I got to check it out. Yeah, it was. 
watch anything good le- recently before we popped in pop in with Karanda? Um, I I watched his film Lion Girl. That 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 was really good. That's good stuff. I watched Three Women the other night, and uh, it was well, fun. With, with with the well, uh, get, don't get wild, don't get crazy, <laughs> don't get me cut down. Yeah, don't get us cut off with a book, the fucking tube, wherever we're at. Um, yeah, Robert Altman, big fan, of course. Yeah, it was mid, you know. It was kind of had a creepy psychological vibe to it. You know, there's a laugh. Sissy Spacek does this laugh. It's like, oh, 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 oh. It was like eerily, uh, very creepy, bumming, like, bumming me out a little bit, giving me the creeps, giving me the creeps. There was also some cool effects he did with waves throughout, almost like he had a little pool going in front of the camera, which is probably what they did. Seen Thanksgiving recently, too. Talked about it on the book. So I feel like a lot of y'all did. Thanksgiving, Eli Ross Thanksgiving was fun. Um, you know what I mean? Fun. Kind of what I expected of it. You know what I mean? So, uh, I guess check out my Facebook page and get my full rundown. But, um, we're not going to talk about that stuff when we have a true legend with us today. The man, the myth, the greatest legend of all. You know what I mean? The great Karando Mitsutaki. Welcome to the Boombastic cast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, great to see you guys. Thank you. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks for coming back. You know, I love, love the multi-talks. You know, so, Alex, this is your first time getting to sit down with Karando. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is true. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I've seen, uh, seen your stuff. I really love your style. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I got to say, it's it's interesting. I mean, like um, uh, watching uh, Lion Girl. I'm, I, I really felt... Maybe it's just me, but I felt like it was almost a mashup um, style-wise of Japanese and American like style put together. Okay, I, and I thought that was really interesting because of you know with the um, the way you have it where you have the two square off, and then you have the the sub the uh, the title of like. Uh, the the beam that the, uh, the sure. character uses and all that. I thought that was really cool and really, you know, you know, almost almost had a little bit of of of, of a feeling of like um, Pokemon, where they're using the different. You know, sure. I call you Pikachu. Use right. lightning bolt. <laughs> I I I thought that was really cool. I really thought that right. was fun. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. basically, I mean, you know. Um, Kind of a mishmash of, you know, anime, uh, American movie, Japanese movie, uh, you know, that, that's really who I am. You know, I was, I was born and raised in Japan till I was 17. Um, and then I came over here. Um, I grew up here. So I, you know, I, 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 I've, I've lived in the States for over 30 years now. So, you know, I'm, um, you know, I, I think I, I, I am I am the hybrid, you know, between the Japanese culture and American culture. And uh, I think Lion Girl, uh, the style of it, uh, you know, really that that represents uh, who I am. And, uh, you know, I definitely wanted to pay homage to Japanese anime and tokusatsu stuff, you know, like whenever the hero does something, 
you know, subtitle of yeah. the, you know, of the superpower or the beam or the whatever, yeah. you know, just come, comes on the screen, you know, it's like, and, and, you know, also, uh, I love the, um, you know, voice of God narration that, you know, frequents in those genre, you know, anime and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I grew up watching shows like that. So, you know, and, and you rarely see voice of God narration for, you know, American, uh, subculture, pop culture stuff. So yeah. I wanted to definitely incorporate that. And so, you know, so that's, that's, that's really my style. You know, I've done that for my other movies too. So very spiritual, which I appreciate. You know what I mean? You were talking cool. about American. They don't, they don't put God in there. They're like afraid of the God thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Now it was like Go Nagi. I, I I could be murdering his name. Loosely based off of like his characters, right? Yeah, Go Nagai, Actually, oh. uh, it's uh, yeah, he's the he's the living legend of Japanese uh, manga world. You know, he he's uh, unfortunately his notoriety is not um, you know that huge in North America, but yeah. uh, in Europe, you know, like France, uh, Italy. Uh, Spain, you know, his, uh, his animations were, uh, animation stuff were all over the TV. Uh, you know, my, my generation, say like the kids who grew up in the seventies and eighties, uh, in Europe, Go Naga's name is, you know, household name over there. So yeah. it's, it's very fascinating. But, uh, yeah, Mr. Nagai, I've been, I've been, you know, lifelong fan of his work. Uh, you know, uh, I've read all his comic books. I cor- collected his books and, you know, so it was, it was such an honor to, uh, be able to team up with him and adapt his, this newly, uh, you know, drawn, uh, never seen before character originally, you know, um, uh, wrote, you know, drew, drew for us. You know, this was, this was something that he created for us to adapt into a movie. So that, that was really amazing. Um, so yeah, the, the Gonaga is amazing and he's my creative hero and I finally got to work with him. Hell yeah. Much respect to him for sure. What, what is the difference between the manga and like comic? It's just, it's two different styles of comic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, I'm, um, I'm not a, <clears throat> you know, specialist on, uh, American comic books, uh, unfortunately. So I can't really, uh, compare those two, uh, accurately, but, um, you know, I think, I think the huge difference is, you know, usually, uh, for Japanese manga, the artist, it's basically one person thing, you know, it's like an artist comes up with the story and he does the drawing, you know, he, he, he or she may have a, a few assistant to, you know, do the background or the, you know, like, uh, uh, some parts painted just Coloring black. Or, and stuff like yeah. That. Yeah. They, they may have an assistant, but you know, usually in the manga world, the artist himself, uh, are the, um, you know, writers and, you know, stuff like that. So basically he or she has a total creative control. And I think, most of the American comic books I know of are, um, you know, group effort. Yeah, you know, yeah. They, they have the, they have the writer, they have different artists, you know, so I think that's the, um, you know, I guess the, the, the production of it, I think that's the biggest difference between manga and American comic books. I support that heavily. I, w- I wonder if like the process to that takes a little longer, you know what I mean? I mean, the collaborative effort's always cool, but, you know, you're creating something, you kind of want to see it through, so to speak, you know what I mean, and get your full vision out there, um, which is yeah. like a huge undertaking, you know, much like making a film, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, basically, you know, Japanese manga artists are the, you know, writer, director, editor, you know, everything rolled in one, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. and playing the, you know, writing the, you know, the dialogue for the main character too. So it, it basically, essentially he or she is playing the characters, you know, um, so yeah, I think I, and, and, you know, I think the, uh, uh, different, uh, comic book magazines has different, uh, style of editors, you know, and the editors will guide the artist, um, what direction to take and stuff like that. So it's, it's you know, very interesting creative process. Yeah. Yeah. Lion Girl is very cool. It's like a post apocalyptic, you know, world that it's almost happening in. And, you know, Lion Girl self kind of like the chosen one, which is very cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah that's, uh, that's kind of, uh, you know, go to set up for a Japanese hero narrative is, you know, like yeah. he or she is the chosen one and, uh, you know, they are not aware of it. And basically the majority of the story is how he or she fulfills that role yeah. in, in the narrative. And, uh, you know, I, I love the, uh, post apocalyptic, uh, world. You know, I, I mean, you know, I, we shot that movie in California and, uh, just outside of, you know, uh, LA, we have beautiful, you know, desolate, uh, desert. So yeah. I, I, I love shooting in those locations. And, uh, uh, yeah. So that, that was kind of a, uh, it, it not, the, the setup naturally came out of me like, okay, let's, let's set this superhero narrative in the post apocalyptic world and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Well, did, did, did were you shooting this when COVID broke out? Wasn't like in the middle of it, I think, or? Yeah, yeah. This, uh, you know, um, personally, Lion Girl is a movie about pandemic and COVID, you know, um, uh, yeah, the, um, when, uh, uh, the project was greenlit right before the pandemic and, uh, uh, well, like a half a year before pandemic happened. And then I was working on the story. Uh, corresponding with Mr. Nagai and stuff like that. Then I finally got the approval, um, to write the script. Uh, that's when the, uh, 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 you know, pandemic broke out. And, uh, you know, we were in lockdown and, uh, you know, we were, you know, what, what wiping the groceries with the yeah. alcohol wipe, you know, the, yeah. remember that time, you know, oh, yeah. like it was. We were like all scared and I was really depressed and, uh, you know, on, on top of, on top of, you know, <clears throat> COVID nightmare, we had, you know, Trump America, you know, yeah. like it was the, it was a double whammy nightmare. And, uh, I had the hardest time focusing on my fictional, you know, uh, apocalypse when, when the real apocalypse was taking, you know, place right in front of me. Yeah. And, uh, so I was like, how the hell am I, I, I can focus on this fictional thing. And, uh, my answer was just basically, uh, make Lion Girl story kind of symbolically about, uh, uh, pandemic. So, you know, the main monsters, um, in, in the movie Anorak, uh, that's Corona spelled backwards. Okay. And, and it's infectious, you know, you know, so, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a symbolism and, you know, a lion girl Botan in the movie talks about, you know, no one saw the meteorite coming and, you know, like, is the world going to be like this forever? Blah, blah, blah. You know, that was my feeling, you know, like yeah. no one saw the pandemic coming and, you know, w w would we get the world before back, you know? Yeah. And, uh, 
So, you know, so that, uh, that's the, uh, I don't know if I answered your question right, but, uh, yeah, so this, 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 you know, Lion Girl and the pandemic corona outbreak really, uh, I mean, it's an inseparable, you know, thing. And, uh, the, you know, Lion Girl is a, symbolically about the pandemic. And, uh, yeah, we, 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 our pre-production was during the, uh, uh, you know, pandemic and, uh, so was the shooting, you know, right when we, we started shooting, um, Omicron just kicked in yeah. and, uh, thank God no one got sick on, 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 on the show. Cause, uh, you know, with our, you know, small scale movie, if someone came down with the COVID, it was it, you know, like, I don't think we, we, we could have stopped for a week and pick it up again, you know, that type of thing. So, you know, we were, we were really blessed that, uh, no one, no one, um, came down with COVID. That COVID deal was so bleak. As a filmmaker, did you ever like lose hope that you would ever get the fin- like finish the movie you guys were about to pop into? Yeah, I was. I was devastated. You know, like when uh, when I was working on the script, uh, that's when I swore. You know, the studio is gonna um, unplug this movie and uh, just abandon it. Um, but uh, you know, my producers fought with the studio and uh, they kept it going and. Uh, you know, they, uh, they were, uh, we, we were able to like say, okay, we don't know when we can start shooting this, but let's, let's use this time, you know, this lockdown time, um, to really work on a script and polish the, polish the story, you know. So I'm really forever in debt, uh, with my producers who, uh, saved the project in a studio, uh, you know, uh, during the pandemic. And when you guys came back, were you guys, was it the mask? And I know that like a lot of like, you know, that the, the, all the, you know, bigger than our films, you know, they had to, the protocols they had to fit into with, you know, of having the check them before they come on set or what was it like check them three days before you go on set and then re- when you're on set or something like that? Yeah, we had to follow all the, you know, because we used the SAG actors, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, screen actors, guild, uh, actors, um, you know, even a little guy like me, uh, we had to follow the, um, uh, you know, the Hollywood union protocol. So I think that was really the, you know, hardest thing. It's like, you know, this was, this was my sixth film and it's the biggest, uh, budget so far. And, uh, you know, like really huge chunk of money, you know, like we we're talking six figures, you know, just going right to the, uh, uh, COVID, uh, budget. Uh, you know, uh, we had to hire the health, uh, officer and all that. And, uh, you know, the crew and cast, they had to, uh, test it before they can come on the set or even do the rehearsal. Um, so that, that was really, you know, kind of, um, the mind boggling thing that, uh, we're, we're dropping this huge chunk of change, uh, onto the thing that not, that's not going to be reflected on the screen, you know, so that was, uh, that was, you know, Sad. That's tough for an indie filmmaker because just yeah. getting the budget to make the film is right. difficult. You know what I mean? And then actually oh, yeah. happened to, oh my God, you know, was it, what was the vibe when people first started to be able to get back on set? Was it they still kind of weary? I know we were still, we were in it for a while, even though we were back to getting regular stuff going. It was still a fear lingering heavy, you know. You know, I think, um, we got really lucky with the quality of the individuals we we were able to gather um i mean we were we were ca- you know cautiously 
uh, approaching to everything. You know, we, we, I mean, we behaved, we didn't do anything unsafe. Um, so, you know, I think, I think the fear was, uh, not really big on set. Um, uh, but I, you know, we, we had fun, you know, I mean, we, we came, we come together to, uh, make movies, you know, that's all we want to do. So I think, um, yeah, I, 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 we weren't, we weren't afraid. I mean, we were cautiously having fun and, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think, uh, everybody wanted to, you know, get back to work and uh, we were able to do that. Yeah. A lot of really great talented actors on the film. Derek Mears pops, you know, obviously has to, you know, pops out there. Um, what was the process of uh, getting him involved with the film? Derek and I had this uh, very interesting kind of, a, a, you know, path crossing uh, all over the world, actually. We were, uh, we were guests together uh, at the uh, German fan convention a um, couple times, and... Uh, you know, at that time, um, you know, I was, uh, my appearance over there was with Asami, uh, who was the star of my movie, Lion, uh, not Lion Girl, uh, Gun Woman. And, uh, um, so, uh, you know, Asami doesn't, uh, speak English. So, you know, when, when we go to international fan conventions, I'm, I'm kind of actually busy as her translator too. And, uh, so, you know, I, I couldn't really get to know Derek all that much, but, uh, you know, we saw each other on passing and, you know, at the breakfast table and stuff like that. So we were saying hi to each other. We started to kind of recognize each other. And, uh, then, uh, uh, I think it was a year before a pandemic. Um, uh, we both attended this, uh, fun convention in Massachusetts called uh, rock and shock. Unfortunately, it it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not <laughs> active anymore, but, yeah. uh, I think it was like a second to the last year of it. Um, but, uh, you know, on that flight, you know, from LA to, you know, Massachusetts, um, we were on the same flight and, uh, you know, Derek was there with his wife, Jenny, and, uh, we just really became best buddies on that convention. Um, and, uh, so when I finished the script of Lion Girl, you know, I, I knew I wanted to have an amazing actor for the main villain, you know, and, uh, uh, I, you know, I knew we couldn't afford Derek Mears, but I just wanted to get his reaction to the script. So I sent him the script. Turns out he, uh, he's actually a huge a fan of Japanese pop culture. He's, uh, he watches anime a lot. Um, you know, so he just got the world right away after reading the script and he, he wanted to do the script. He wanted to do the movie. So he was like, Hey, Krando. I want to help you out. I'm going to do this for the scale and I'm going to call my agent and, uh, you know, just secure my schedule for the, for your schedule. So let's do this together. And, uh, man, both, uh, Derek and his wife, Jenny, Jenny actually plays Ginchio, the bad sidekick for Kishi in the movie. So, you know, they helped me out so much, uh, both in front of the camera and behind the camera. So it was kind of a, my gift. Uh, to them to have them together on the screen uh, together for the first time, you know. Um, so, yes. so it became a family affair, and uh, it was great. Jenny did amazing job playing Ginchio, the bad hench henchwoman, and uh, you know, of course, Derek is just breathtaking yeah. as as Lord Kishi in Lion Girl. I think. Yeah, we always talk about the importance of like you know, these relationships. You know, you can have a 
you know, the, the professional relationship, but liking each other is pretty big. You know what I mean? And I can, I remember I worked with Kane Hodder on a film once back in the day and, uh, he's such a cool dude. I remember him being like, he knew we made like the film we were working on was like mid indie. He knew we made like no money indies. And he was like, yeah, dude. He's like, hit me up. He's like, if you ever have something for me, hit, hit me up because like, I'd, I'd probably do it cheaper than regularly because, you know, like we had the connection, which was really cool. Um, yeah, you know, a, a lot of horror community actors, you know, they, uh, more, more than any other genre filmmakers, I, th I think they have, they have the tremendous, uh, humanity, you know, and, uh, you know, everybody, everybody talks about, you know, on, on, uh, interviews and stuff like that. Everybody talks about, oh, so and so is the best guy. He's the, he's the real deal, blah, blah, blah. 99.9% .9 of the time, that's bullshit, you know, and, uh, <laughs> You know, but, but I, ha I, I swear this, I swear this on my mother. Um, Derek Mears is the best guy in Hollywood and it's the truth. I mean, he's, he's, he's really, he wants to help people out and he wants to, you know, finesse his, uh, acting and, you know, he's, you know, willing to, uh, take on the challenging role, challenging situation. He's, he's really the best. Yeah, Derek, I, we met Derek a few times. Like I met you at Rocket Shock years ago that, at, at yes. that con and, Yes. I remember Derek was always a dude running around, you know, when you see like the, the, the celebrities running or leave their booth, run around, talk to fans on the outside and stuff like, you know, that they're really like good folks, you know what I mean? And he was one of those dudes. Right. Um, so we got, he gets the support, you know, just coming off of the swamp bang. Yeah. 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 Glory, glory. I, I get back into, we're doing a film right now that's based off of the swamp and like I got heavy oh. back into swamp thing. Uh, because okay. uh, you know the TV show West yes. Cravens, of course. You know what I mean. And his new show is fantastic. They, they, yeah, he well, looked great. He did an amazing job. Incredible. They need to bring that back for like more episodes. For sure. Yes. I don't know why they got rid of it because it was doing good. Fans were loving. Yeah, it might have been a COVID thing. Budget. Yeah, it was. A, it was a funky time. You know, like every every everything got screwed up one yeah. way or the other. You know. Well, film in general's taken. We came out of COVID, and then you had the strike for like almost a year, which was killing people too. Uh, madness, you know what I mean? Yep. You brought up Gun Woman before. I love Gun Woman. You know, Karate you. Kill. You know what I mean? All these great films, dude. I love it. I always Thank tell you. people, I say, out of all the, the indie people, Karando's one of my favorite filmmakers of this time right now. Really killing it. Um, the style is, I fucking love your style so much. It's really Thank cool. It's like, uh, you know, we'll get into, we'll get into, uh, Maniac Driver in a little bit, but they're all, they all have that cool style. And, you know, Vengeance is always plays like a cool part in it, which I appreciate heavily, you know, to go into Maniac Driver a little bit. Um, we call it the lighting's beautiful. I love it. You know, the, the Jalo vibe of it, Japanese Jalo, I think is what they're going with. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're the king yep. of that, you know what I mean? But yeah. No, it was uh, it was an interesting uh project. Um you know, I was uh after Karate Kill, I I was uh hired by this uh huge Japanese talent agency that represents, you know, uh one of the Japan's top uh boy band and uh, they wanted to make an action movie and uh I was in this uh three-year development hell with these people who just had no clue uh, how to make a movie yeah. and uh you know their opinion on this and that changes day to day um 
it was horrible. I mean, I was, I was devastated. So, uh, then, you know, after three years of just jerking me around, basically they, they just disabandoned the project. It was terrible. And, uh, so I needed to, you know, book my movie number five in hurry. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a Japanese pink ega company. Pink ega in Japan is this a traditional, um, softcore porn uh movies uh that you know it's it's not a hardcore the re- real sex stuff it's it's all fictional uh you know the sex sexual acts are simulated um so it's it's different from uh adult videos but uh um so you know a lot of uh startup movie directors do a lot of pinkuega and uh basically you know every 10 15 minutes if you have some sexy scenes um you can do whatever you want. You know, that, that's, that's the, that's the world of Pink Ega. And, uh, this one, uh, Pink Ega company approached me saying, uh, you know, we, we, we were, uh, we want to make, we want to produce some Pink Ega that actually could penetrate, uh, no pun intended, but, uh, penetrate the world, uh, you know, the festival, film festival scenes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, that they wanted me to make something international. So I said, well, I haven't done a, a, a horror movie in my, in my filmography before. So if you let me do a horror movie, um, you know, I, I think we can team up. And, uh, so, you know, I came up with the maniac driver idea and pitched it. They liked it. So they greenlit it and we were going to do it. Then, uh, six days before, uh, the shoot, uh, the company producer said, well, I, we, uh, we are not allowing any of your, uh, political statement or any symbolism in the movie. Hmm. So I said, what the hell is that all about? I mean, you know, that's like, as long as you have some sexual scenes in the movie every 10 minutes, every 15 minutes, filmmaker could say or do whatever they want to do. You know, that's the, that's the, that's the traditional, reason why the filmmaker would commit to do a softcore you know movie yeah. and uh so they they turn it around and they're like you know this is a different uh, sense of political time yada 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 so i said well screw that you know i'm not doing this anymore so um we suffered a tie the studio and i suffered a tie six days before the shoot and uh, uh but the, my producer she's uh she's this amazing um my partner of crime but the, she said all right this is just a week, less than a week before the shoot. If I cancel the shoot, I have to pay them the cancellation fee. So let's just do the movie. I, I'm going to finance the movie out of my pocket. Um, but let's, let's do this movie super tight and let's do this. And, uh, so we ended up shooting Maniac Driver for four days and a half. Wow. And it just, I mean, it was the most brutal film shoot I've ever done. <laughs> and uh I I you know, because it was so hard, I actually don't have that much recollection of what have happened on uh, on on the set. I mean we yeah. just did it. We executed everything. And thank God for the amazing actor Tomoki Kimura who played the main guy yeah. um you know a manic driver. He's 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 this I don't know. He's a, he's this acting genius with all the sensitive sensitivity, and he has the I don't know the athleticism of uh, uh, a sharpshooter. You know, like he yeah. 
he just he can nail the take on the first take, bang, 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 and uh, that say that of course saved a lot of time. And uh, yeah, so just thank God for all the talented actors uh, who committed to Manic Driver, and I was able to shoot that movie in four days and a half. Wow, I didn't know that. More kudos to you. I'm a big fan <laughs> of the film. Um, I know in the special features you talk about how like you have to ride, you have to really ride when you're making like this, like a sleazy Jallo film, you, you have to ride a certain, you don't, you can't go too sleazy. You know what I mean? Especially in this climate. I mean, did you have any reservations about like, cause the climate's like, you know, sex stuff can be difficult nowadays. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, I mean, you know, uh, I, even before this, you know, quote-unquote sensitive time, um, I always thought the number one job for a filmmaker, a uh, film director, is to provide the most comfortable environment for your performers to perform, you know? So, um, you know, I talk to my actors all the time, you know, like, this is how we're going to do this, This um, I'm going to shoot it this way. Uh, your costumes, this, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, I have, I have no secret from my actors, uh, what I'm going to do, what I want them to do. So, um, yeah, even, even, uh, you know, sensitive, uh, nudity scenes and whatnot, um, you know, that doesn't change. You know, I mean, I, I would, I would make them more comfortable, uh, do, you know, doing what they need to do and stuff. So, uh, yeah, we, we have no problem, uh, on set d- doing those things because we all know what's to be expected and then we just execute them. You know, we, we're all pro. And, uh, um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, I'm going to jump a little bit, uh, <clears throat> talk about Lion Girl, but, uh, unfortunately, this wokeism, yeah. um, really, really killed the, uh, festival runs. Uh, of Lion Girl, you know, cause Lion Girl is the uh, good old fashioned exploitation film, you know, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's actually my homage to Mr. Nagai's world too, you know, like in his comic book, both male and female character, they all get naked, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a, he, he draws this amazing, beautiful naked bodies, uh, men and women. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so if, if I were to do a live action Go Nagai thing, uh, nudity had to be in it, you know, yeah. uh, loads of it, you know, so that's, that's what I did. And basically I had, um, you know, um, I had like a deal memos from, you know, um, two of the biggest general film festivals in the world, uh, promising us the world premiere, but they, you know, they actually, uh, broke the promise and they didn't show our movie, uh, at their festival, just saying, you know, this, this, this climate, you know, this woke, wokeism age, um, we can't, we can't show this movie, you know, and, and all those festivals, they, um, they lost a lot of sponsorship after COVID, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, companies, you know, they wanted to save money. They couldn't, they couldn't afford to be the sponsor for the different the film festivals anymore. So basically they're, they're struggling. They're, they're losing their funds. Um, they can't make any controversial decision. They can't be, you know, um, you know, they, they can't really make any enemies. So they're kind of playing it safe, you know, like within this bullshit wokeism thing. So, yeah. yeah so it's just, we, uh, we got killed and I'm, I'm actually really pissed off and I'm, I, I can't actually, 
I'm, I'm waiting for the right time and, you know, choosing the right platform to actually expose um, a lot of the bullshit in the whole film festival world, you know, like they, they're kind of dirty bunch, you know, and yeah. uh, so, you know, I want to expose them someday, but. Too clicky. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? That's always an issue. Uh, I, I mean, one of the uh, uh, bad things I find with film festivals that both man and I have found is that we get emails from them all the time saying, hey, you know, send us your film. We we love to see your film. Have a... And, of course, you know, they'll take our money, but they then don't show our film. It's, I mean, it, it, it and especially I think the biggest uh, biggest problem is when you have these film festivals that are walking the line of wokeism because the whole point of being independent filmmakers outside of the main big producers and all that is to go against the grain. And if, if you're a film festival that is only going to show what, you know, is safe, then you're doing the disservice not only to the fans and the filmmakers, but you're doing the disservice to the idea of what makes a film festival. We go to film festivals mm-hmm. to see what we're not going to see on Netflix or any of the other streaming sites. And yeah. that is a big, a big, uh, big issue. I think that all film festivals have at this moment. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. It's, uh, you know, definitely that's, that's exactly what's happening. They're playing it safe. Uh, they're going with, they don't, you know, the personally, those festival directors or whatnot, uh, they don't even jive with wokeism. They know it's just bullshit, but yeah. they do it because it's better for the business, you know, mm-hmm. and I think, I think that attitude, um, is something that, uh, we need to, we need to address, we need to talk about. But, uh, yeah, the film festival submission, man, it's so dirty. It's like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the secret. It's like, when when they you know get your money and they they gather the film to be submitted and stuff, the almost like ninety five percent of the program is already decided, you know, like they 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 already have the programming done. Then they open to the public for the submission. Then when when the bigger films that they want to screen, they get the cancellation for it. Then that's when they squeeze in. Uh, all the public uh submitted movies you know it's it's such a bullshit money making scheme um you know I, I it's it's a it's a dirty world i mean if if you if you just google some of the you know like i say top 5 um genre film festival and if you look who's behind it this you start to see same person yeah. oh this film festival actually has this person as a programming director Oh, this person actually also is advisor to this film festival. You know, it's it's a doggy dog. It's a film festival gang thing that, that they they have, and uh, it's 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 not cool. It's it's, it's not, an elite group, unfortunately. It's like the people they can't make the film, so we'll 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 you know we'll we'll still control the films, but we'll be over here. You know, we yeah. had you we had Yui Bowl on the show uh, earlier this year, and he was talking a lot about how like the festivals kind of fuck with him too, which is unfortunate. You know what I mean? But yeah, the playing it safe, man. When has playing it safe ever produced good films? You know what I mean? Like never. It's like it's scary. <laughs> 
You know, yeah, it was, you, it was, I think I think we're we're entering a lot, you know, scary time. You know, like in in different uh, uh, places. You know, like uh, you know this wokeism thing and uh, self censorship. You know, like they can they can actually change stuff. You know, that was that was written a long time ago or whatever. So uh, yeah, we we're we're entering a really scary time. I think, and we give so much power to the festivals. Like one one day they will be they'll have their own editing room where they'll make the cuts themselves. You know what I mean? They'll be like, "Well, we don't think this should be in here, so we're cutting." Yeah, it. like it's the crazy. NBA, yeah, horrifying. Yeah, I think I think I think we should make a documentary expose documentary about film festival. I'm all for it. <laughs> I'm, they don't show me no love anyway. Fuck so them. Hey hey, don't tease, man. He'll 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 go on the TV and say, "Okay, we're doing it. We're doing the expose <laughs> film festivals right now." I always, yes. it's scary, man. I always, you know, that stuff's madness of that, like playing it safe. Like, we'll take, like, Maniac Driver. I feel like you always wear your kind of influences and homages on your sleeve, which is something I appreciate. And I take that that's kind of a taxi driver heavy influenced as well as like William Lustig's Maniac. I think those are probably two of the biggest influence and those fi- masterpiece filmmaking on the, you know what I mean? And those, I'm not, they're so far from safe films, but it's weird. It's like, we've kind of had these films that were cool and groundbreaking and it's got us to this place. And now they're afraid of it. I don't know what the deal is with that. Yeah. Scary. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Horrifying. It's madness. You think, what do you think? You think, what do you think the elk, the end game for this is? You think it's going to get better before it gets worse or it's going to get worse before it gets better with that? I think, I mean, I mean, the whole, you know, I think, I mean, I, I, my, my, my family, my wife and son always accuse me of me being the doomsdayer. So, you know, yeah. um, and they hate it, but, uh, uh, I, you know, I, um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> because of me being a doomsdayer, I think, uh, <laughs> the world is kind of headed for the dark direction right now. You know, yeah. I, I just, I mean, economy is bad. Um, you know, politics bad, uh, culturally, you know, uh, you know, crazy censorship people. I mean, yeah. I think, I think, I think the pro- big, biggest problem is a lot of people wants to control other people. You know, I think, I think that that's the bottom line problem for everything. And, uh, um, uh, I, I, I think this is going to get worse. I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think we, uh, I think we're heading for something. Really bad, and um, then I think then we're gonna eventually rebuild, you know. But yeah, I agree with you on that. You know, hopefully it's not too bad. I, it's all you almost wonder. The only way to fix it would be like a, a, a resurgence of like indie festivals that could get the same push, get the same spotlight on them. You know what I mean? Which is it's tough because those big. It's like almost you take a Hollywood producer that might want to squash like an indie because uh, they feel threatened. It's the same thing with a festival. They'll squash indie festivals because they feel threatened. It's their meal ticket. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, th- I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the biggest problem is, uh, you know, big film festival, they, they, they became big business. Yeah. You know, so, you know, the business, um, Business dealings with the artistic freedom and voices, you know, uh, a lot of times they don't jive, you know, and, uh, 
um unfortunately that's 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 where we are right now it's scary it's just another way to keep people out it's like you know the secret club thing it's like you you, you go like when you get into filmmaking you know about the secret club but you go wait a second though if i if i just continue you know persevering making these good projects and keep trudging away that eventually you'll get into this place but it's almost like I don't know. Did they bring in their people to take the position of what you should be in a way? You know what I mean? It's very scary. It's yeah. I mean, I mean, I've been at it for over 20 years and, uh, I, I haven't even found the entrance to this secret club. Yeah. You know, I, I know it fucking exists, but, uh, I, I just don't know where it is. I, I don't, I don't even know which door to knock on. You know, like I, I've been doing this for 20 years and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, if you, I mean, you know, it's just, a, you know, like all these first time directors name just pops out. You don't know where they came from. You know, you, you haven't seen even these names uh, in uh, festivals before or anything. And, uh, you just, you just see them, you know, like doing some big horror movie for Blumhouse or, you know, A24 or whatever. And you just don't know where they, they come from. And I think there are the secret. I don't know. Their secret labor camp that uh, they pump out <laughs> yeah. this uh, el- elite, <laughs> el- elite so. director, and they just clone them or something, and uh, we can never get there. I don't know. I have no idea. We all. I'm, I'm sure if, if if you go and 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 uh, go and check these people, uh, you'll find out that the the brother, cousin, former roommate of uh, of you know Steven Spielberg's gardener or something like that. <laughs> We you'll, all... you'll, yeah, you'll find out that you know they're, they're connected somehow because I mean nepotism. I mean has always run wild in in Hollywood, but uh, now you yeah, coined the term uh, a pandemic. I would say of uh, that's that's the issue. And when you have pretty much the same type of people constantly throwing out the same stuff, I think that's one of the problems we have with Hollywood now. You sit down, you watch these films i mean they're all safe films they're all i mean hey i love superhero movies uh, as much as the next guy but even i'm kind of like how about we take like a few years off let's like not make another superhero movie for like 10 years okay and focus on something else try to do something different instead of like hey this just you know this have a movie with every person who's ever played superman okay it's a multiverse. It's it's like, can we do something else? Can we do something other than placating and just doing fan service, like new ideas, new ways of taking these characters or something? It's like a greedy decision. Like They know that butts are going to get in seats, so they want to go with the safe route. You know, to go back to that thing before, No, I won't say no names, but there was a dude that directed a movie uh, called Clown years ago. And in the trailer for it, he had, it said from master of horror, Eli Roth, Eli Roth wasn't attached to the film. Mm. Um, but like, because of that, he got the attention of Eli. Roth. I feel like if we did it, we'd get a lawsuit. You know what I mean? But like, he got the attention and then he did like a movie called, I think cop car. And then they gave him a Spider-Man movie. It was like, where'd this guy even come from, dude? Yeah. So eh, it's a weird deal, but it's tricky. It's definitely one of those things for sure. But it's money, unfortunately. It's like there's show business, there's the business side of it. 
And uh, making movies are very cool, you know, it's a blessing to be able to do them, you know what I mean? So it's like everybody kind of wants to get in. And, uh, it, it, you know, the family aspect's a little weird, but then again, it's all, it's like, well, if, if we were at this peak, we were at this place and we had a nephew or whatever that wanted to make movies, we would probably try and usher them in as well. You know what I mean? So you can't really give them too many hard times, even though well, it's, you can't give them hard times. I'll give them un- hard times for you. It's unfortunate I mean, not I mean, being I, your I, nephew. I mean, I don't have a nephew and niece yet, but I'll give them hard times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Oh, well, yeah, I got my nephews in the film. It's not quite, uh, you know, the Spider-Man movie, directing the Spider-Man movie, but we let them go, you know what I mean? Um, I always like to ask, you know, um, with Maniac Driver, the, the, the idea for the helmet to go, you know, when you have a lot of, like, horror films, you know, the look is really make or break of the film, and I thought it was really cool. At what point did that the, the motorcycle helmet in, like, the pro- creative process come into the mix of that? Well, I, I always wanted to have the, the, you know, motorcycle helmet killer thing, uh, in my movie. You know, that's, that's a, you know, that's a very popular motif in, yeah. uh, Italian, you know, slasher film and giallo yeah. films. And, uh, I, I wanted to do it. So that was kind of, you know, like, uh, easy, like one of the first thing that I came, you know, that, that really wanted some, something I wanted to do in the movie. And, uh, yeah, the whole look of it, and uh, um, the you know, of course, the lighting you mentioned. Lighting's uh, beautiful. Thank I, you. It's one of my favorite uh, shot wise, like the the look of it. It's one of that's probably one of my favorite look wise of your films. I think it's very beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we had the. I mean, you know, be, it was the, the four days and a half crazy shooting schedule was actually crazy. Uh, yeah. Hindsight blessing in disguise because. Uh, because the commitment was so short, uh, a lot of A-listers, uh, the, the A-list crew, Japanese film crew, they were able to come on and help me with the movie because, you know, if, 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 you know, so ultra low budget, if they wanna, you know, they wanna book them for like three weeks, they'll say no, you know, because they have to make a living. But, uh, four days and a half, they were like, okay, you know, I can help you with that. And, uh, so I got this amazing, uh, lighting guy and, uh, camera guy, you know, they all, uh, worked really hard on, uh, Manic Driver with the super limited resources and time. Um, I, I am very happy with how, uh, how the look of the movie, uh, came out. Yeah. You know, the, the fall, the falling away from like, the almost like the soft core production company, um, do you think you you guys think you're better off in the long run for what for how it went or totally i mean you know we had the creative freedom and uh you know the, the studio wasn't uh breathing down on my neck so yeah i think i think yeah i think them being uh you know kind of weasel you know like they don't want to they just want to pump out the product versus you know uh making movie really um so I think I think we we were really lucky to uh, be able to part with them, and I, you know, like I said, you know, I, I my really my biggest thanks goes to my producer who um, you know financed the movie on her own, and uh, you know we were able to do the movie, so uh, we were very lucky, and uh, I'm I'm you know I'm really proud of the movie. I agree. I think it's better off for it. What a, what a bully move, man. Six days before you're going to shoot to be like, change that. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. 
so weird. Like they knew that they, they knew you didn't want to do it. And they're like, well, we'll give him, we'll, we'll give him last minute. So he has to, he, cause he wants to make his movie. We'll, we'll give him last minute. You know what I mean? Terrible. Yeah. That this the producer I was dealing with, he was, he was kind of a classic, um, you know, film business, uh, you know, weasel, you know, like yeah. he, he would deliver bad news, uh, a possible last minute and uh you know uh oh by the way you know like he would drop just really bad news yeah, <laughs> like, well, why didn't you say that before but um yeah I'm, I'm 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 actually really happy that uh we were able to do a uh, manic driver as an independent movie and um uh, you know we got uh we got the healthy distribution uh you know uh in some parts of uh the world, uh, not not everywhere, because uh, but again, uh, when we were shopping in around, the pandemic happened, and it was really kind of the f- whole film distribution world was like in the in a funk. But uh, um, you know, we got the Japanese. Uh, you know, it was released theatrically in Japan, and uh, when it came out on Blu-ray, um, we actually got uh, a number one spot on uh, uh, mystery suspense category in Japanese Amazon. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, we were, we were above all the expensive movies. So we were, we were really happy and proud of the movie. They hooked you up with the packaging too. They gave you cool packaging with the red, like, uh, shell case, which I, I, I love that. As a physical media person, I love when right. they go the extra mile and make it look like extra cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. The first, uh, first 300 or 500 copies of Manic Driver, the Japanese edition actually had, uh, uh, bonus, uh, soundtrack CD with it. And, uh, I think that was, uh, that was a good, uh, gimmick. And yeah. basically, you know, we, we sold out the first press, uh, just within like three, four days, uh, of releasing. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, uh, we, it was, it was a hit. And, uh, because we produced it with the no money, uh, my producer got the money back. And so it's a, it's a happy, happy story. Hell yeah, happy, happy, enjoy, joy. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I dig, I dig. The uh let me see here. The uh let me see here, guy. Look at me. No. I can't say enough good things. About, <laughs> Thank you, know, you. You know what I mean? I really do. I love I'm a big fan, you know, you. been following you know, since we met at Rocket Shock, you know what I mean? And just like yeah, dude, like I said, I ain't whistling Dixie. Like, I think you're one of the best in indie filmmakers right now doing. And I'm always telling people, go check out your stuff. You know, it's, as we do the, like, no budget films, like, you know, and I know you got, you got a little bigger budgets, but you're still in the indie world. And, you know, you'll see filmmakers that go out with a big chunk of change and come back and not have any quality to the film. And I always give kudos. Your films always, they look great. They sound great. They flow nicely. You know what I mean? You get the, you ride the edge where it's not, you know what I mean? It's not too crazy, but it's not watered down. You know what I mean? It's a beautiful thing. You know, and I always have kudos for filmmakers to do that because we're heavy on like that whole safe is like no good. Like art shouldn't be safe. You know what I mean? So kudos for sure. Thank you. What do, you, what do you got coming up next on the dock? Are you, you developing a new flick? You got something ready to roll? or? Well, you know, uh, since Lion Girl was my first uh, studio movie, and, uh, um, you know, it uh, and it was the biggest budget 
so far that you know my sixth movie um so right now i'm in this kind of weird uh filmmaker's purgatory right now yeah, you know yeah. like n- no one wants to talk to me uh until the box office result of of lion girl is in so um you know i mean i guess i can i can pitch around you know different ideas right now but um if I have the box office result of Lion Girl from Japan uh, with me, I think that's going to. Oh, I'm hopefully, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, it'll be a hit over there and uh, it'll open more doors for me. But uh, uh, you know, right now I'm just, I'm really, you know, I mean, Lion Girl. I, I was involved with it for like well over three years, you know, and yeah. uh, it just, I, I, I mean, I, I, I personally want to see how it does in Japanese box office. Um, uh, it, it will be released in theaters uh, nationwide in Japan uh, January 26th next year. And, uh, you know, this is like the biggest, um, you know, opening uh, that I've had for my other movies. And, uh, you know, this is the first time that they actually will have the T-shirt uh, sold at the theaters and a baseball cap and, uh, they're even trying to make like a lion girl ring and uh you know i mean i mean I, my nev- my movies never came up came out with uh merchandising before yeah. but it you know this one is the first time and uh so i'm just you know really i'm i want to ride the ride and yeah. i really want to see the result of the box office then you know i'm going to talk to the same studio maybe or a different studio to see what i can do next but uh you know it's uh you want to go up and up, you know, so like, you sure. you know, like a, you, 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 you know, so I, hopefully my seventh movie will be a bigger budget. So, you know, it'll, it'll take a little bit longer to set it up. So, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just anxiously waiting for the result of uh, uh, Lion Girl to come in and I can start, uh, you know, developing different stories. But uh, I mean, of course, I have tons of, you know, unproduced ideas. So. Well, whenever I can start, you know, whenever I can talk to the money guy, I can whip out many ideas. I know it, le- it, it ends kind of leaving an opening for a sequel. You know what I mean? So I oh, didn't, sure. I, I don't know if you were planning for that or if you were, or as a director, like, what do you think's better? You know, jumping, you know, if box office is good, jumping into that sequel or trying to kick off into something new and then you can always return to a sequel. You know, at this point, I really just, all I want to do is, uh, you know, uh, just make movies, you know, like I, I, you know, like I want to, I want to support myself and my family with my filmmaking and, uh, um, you know, I don't want to take side jobs and stuff like that. So, yeah. well, you know, whatever, 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 you know, get me the paycheck doing, do, doing what I love, you know, making movies, um, yeah. is cool, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do the sequel. Uh, I would love to do the sequel. I would love to, uh, you know, team up with Tori Griffith, who was amazing Lion Girl, um, and Damien, you know, amazing, uh, Ken Shishikura, the sidekick character. I mean, all the, the main cast members for Lion Girl, I, I, I would work with them again on a heartbeat, you know, yeah. so, um, you know, so I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to, you know, possibly doing a sequel, you know, with the same cast. So, um, you know, that's that, uh, if that happens, great. Um, if, if, if they want to 
develop something different with me, that's cool. You know, so I'm I'm not limiting myself to anything really. I'm just open for any possibility. Yeah. I was seeing it like some uh for a little bit films like they would the distribution company would get that that film, but then they'd pick somebody else to do the sequel type deal. You know, that was happening for a little bit. I mean still probably happening. Right. So you gotta just make sure you get the EP and the check. That's all that matters, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I think, um, I mean, it depends, you know, like it depends on what direction they want, the studio wants to develop the sequel into. Maybe, maybe that's not something I want to do. I don't know. Right. Um, but I'm not going to sell myself short, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to be quote unquote sellout, you know, right. so yeah, uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm open. I'm really open. So hell yeah. Well, it's always a pleasure. Karana, you want to tell folks where they can check out your stuff and get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on all the social medias. Uh, just, uh, if you Google Karana Mitsutake, my name, uh, I'll, I'll come up somewhere. And, uh, Lion Girl, uh, was, uh, became available, uh, in the States, uh, on November 7th. So, uh, it's on different digital platform. Uh, the physical media is out from Cleopatra Entertainment. Uh, it's loaded. The, the Blu-ray edition is loaded with uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, the, the DVD has little, but because it's a smaller, um, you know, thing, uh, they can take so much information. So uh, uh, it's not fully loaded. Uh, but so I would suggest if you have a, a Blu-ray player uh please pick up the blu-ray copy uh of it uh and uh lion girl will th- hit the japanese theaters uh, on january 26th and i'm really looking forward that they're really japanese market is treating this as a big um you know cult uh movie so hopefully it does great over there and uh i guess i'll be talking to you guys again when uh when i do the sequel hell yeah hell yeah <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. Lion Girl and Maniac Driver on Amazon. Yes, America loves its Amazon. You know what I mean. So that's the place to go grab. Yeah, I mean nowadays you can't find any physical medias in the physical stores anymore. Yeah. You know, like all the. I mean, even at the Best Buy, you know, the DVD Blu-ray section is so small now. You know, I think it'll be practically be gone. Uh, you know, next year or whatever. But. uh yeah, uh, Amazon has many of my movies, uh, both, uh, on Amazon Prime streaming, uh, Amazon video, uh, or the physical media. So please check it out. And, uh, you know, the, the Manic Driver Blu-ray is a beautiful, and beautiful it, package too. So. Yeah. And when you're watching beautiful lighting, you need the Blu-ray. You need the Blu-ray. That's how it goes. Yeah. To go back to that thing you were saying about Best Buy, I'm like, I don't even, Best Buy night might not even sell movies anymore. Somebody was telling me a lot of those chains, you don't get no movies there. Yeah. It was crazy. Cause that was the hub forever. Yep. You know, changing world. Yeah. It's scary. I don't like the, I don't like stream, the streaming's fun, but like as far as collecting movies, like the digital thing's no good. Because like we talked about today with, you know, like elite people almost, it's like, who's to say they're going to erase it out of your computer, for, you know you know what I mean? Or just say, oh, you can't have that no more, you know, who knows? Yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, having your own library is your freedom. You know, you can yeah. watch whatever you want uh, anytime, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I, I believe in physical media and uh, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's really sad that uh, nowadays, you know, in in the states, uh, a lot of the smaller indie indie movies and uh, uh, many of foreign movies, they do get the distribution, digital distribution, but they don't they don't release the physical media. And uh, I was talking to uh, my friend from uh, a music industry yesterday, and he said. There are a lot of bands that don't produce CDs anymore, you know, because they don't sell and uh, they they cost them their overhead of producing the CDs high. So they just do the streaming, you know. So the physical media or building your library thing, um, you know, is is a thing of the past, and I'm I'm really really sad about that. It is sad. It's yeah. very sad. Well. Madness. So everybody out there and support physical media and go get some Blu-rays. Do it big. Get some Blu-rays from Quran, Doug. You know what I mean? One of the yeah. best in the biz right here. <laughs> Thank you. you know but always a pleasure, man. We definitely want to have you on. If, if the next project is a sequel or not, we definitely want to have you back on. And Please, I, just anytime. Just let me know. I want to talk about these festivals going away. All these crazy <laughs> festivals. Maybe we'll get you, Uwe, back in the bill. We'll get a big combo. It's, uh, yeah, may- maybe you can gather some, uh, uh, you know, filmmakers who's who had, uh, in- you know, interesting episodes about the festivals or something. Maybe we can have a little group discussion. I, cool. I would love to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, we'll, yeah, we'll definitely we'll get working on that. That'd be good times. Great. Yeah. Well, well, all right. Well, thank you guys so much for having me and the great you. talking to you. And hopefully, you know, uh, Sooner than later, I can get to talk to you again with the uh, with the new movie. Hell yeah, and good luck with the January opening. I, I call it now. I, I speak the words out. Big success and big uh, next level shit. I'm digging. Thank it. you I'm, so much. I love the movie, and I think other people, Alex does too, and I, I know everybody else gonna. Great, thank you. Hell yeah, thank you, man. All right, have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. All right, catch you guys later. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. And that was the great Karando Mitsutaki. Uh, always a pleasure, man. We've had him on the show in the past on the Boombastic Network. And uh, I think it's the shock treatment, uh, an eye for vengeance episode. I think uh, on the Patreon, you can catch the video. And I think on the audios out there still floating, but... To catch a little bit more about some of his earlier films that we didn't talk about today, definitely it'd be a good double header, a little two-parter, double feature to catch that episode and this episode. And uh, Carando is the man, dude. I love Carando. Met him at Rock and Shock maybe 10, maybe even longer years ago and uh, kept up with him. And, you know, like I said, I wasn't just whistling Dixie. Watch the films. They're fucking really good. You know, you watch an independent film and you'll go, oh, it lacks there. It lacks there. It's fun, but lacks there, lacks there. A little lacking over there. A couple more lacking over here. Carando's movies are, they're fucking awesome. You know, he, he's a dude that can, he takes the money that he can get. You know what I mean? And he makes uh, films that are way better. You know what I mean? That, than what you would expect with that budget in the indie world. You know what I mean? Uh, very good stuff. Very good stuff. Alex, what do you think? We gotta get um, you in one of them. We gotta get you in a Carando movie. Hey, I'm totally down. I mean, heck, I was tempted to be like, "Hey, sequel, hit us up," but you know, don't want don't want to push ourselves. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I love his style, and like I said in the be- uh, in the beginning, 
what I think really makes is the fact that um, when when you watch a film, you can always say, well, that's that's very American, that's very Japanese, that's very whatever culture that the director came from. And as he uh, points, uh, pointed out and I made comment, was like Lion Girl is a perfect example where you can see the um, culture of both uh, America cinema and Japanese cinema kind of melding together. And I think that that is extremely cool for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of the main one is it creates something unique. You create something new. Yeah. And I keep on saying it on this podcast and any other podcast I'm on that the biggest problem with Hollywood, the biggest problem with films right now is the fact that everyone's trying to get the safe route. Everyone's like, ooh, this made money in the 80s, so this redo it. This make uh, make it a huge franchise because we know we're going to make money off of it. Yeah. But no one's taking the chance to try to do something original or take an old idea and try to do something new with it. And, I mean, when you watch Carando's movies, it is, it's, it's, it's beautiful for the eyes. It's, it's well put together. It's, it's cinematic and it is different. It is a melding of two different cultures together, which I love when I see that happen because it gives you something new and, but yet still at the same time familiar. And I think that's what we need something where, you know, you can still feel familiar to it, but yet it gives you something more. And if you are a fan of anime, Karando is 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 the man for you because watching his films is like watching like actual anime live action. And I know that I've I've heard from a lot of people who are huge anime fans with a lot of live action remakes or uh, adaptations where they're like, well, they're missing this and they don't have this. Karando's given given like. Uh, I think his style just gives to itself of the live action anime and, and gives a new life. And I think is really well done. Oh, for sure. You know, you know, and there is a comic book style to it. You know, it's funny that, 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 that lion girls kind of like a comic book movie, you know, it's like his version of a comic book movie in the sense of like where it came from. You know what I mean? Um, very cool stuff. Yeah. I can't say enough good things about Carando. Great dude, super talented filmmaker. You know, I like talking with Carando because like he's a higher, uh, independent than we are. You know what I mean? But we, I feel like we all deal with the same struggles. You know what I mean? Like we get a lot less money and he's got a, a lot less than a Hollywood film. You know what I mean? And, uh, I always root for the underdog man. And when they're good people, it makes it even better. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, Karando always has my love, respect, and support. Um, the gentleman said happy holidays before he bounced out. And that's right, because ladies and gentlemen, you're catching this episode in the December issue of the Boobasta cast. So also be on the lookout because with that being said, uh, Yuletide Christmas uh, special will probably be popping off in uh, a week or so. So make sure you tune into the Boombastic Media YouTube page to catch that. Uh, if you want to catch it early, you can catch that on the Boombastic streaming. 
Patreon page. That's right. Boombastic with two O's streaming, you know, support some indie folks up in her, up in her, up in her, you know what I mean? And, uh, hell yeah. Uh, Karando was a great, uh, season ender, season five ending. And, uh, the ending is just the beginning, if you know what I mean. Ooga chaga, ooga chaga. So with that being said, we hope everybody has a great Christmas season and a happy new year. Uh, we won't see you for both. This, this will be our last intake. And you'll catch us, uh, next up on season six, episode one of the Boombasta cast. Uh, Thanksgiving just passed, but we are thankful for everybody who listens to the show, man. We really appreciate it. You know, you, you show up with, with the views uh, is a fantastic thing. I'm downright emotional here. I remember when we first started bringing guests on the show, we were getting around 150, maybe 200 uh, views on those things. And uh, the next season, we bumped up to like the 300, the 400 mark. And then this season, I got to thank you all out there for sure. From the bottom of our boom bastard cast hearts, because each episode we've been popping off and getting from seven to 800 views. And I love it. Some people will go. Some people wipe them out their ass with those numbers, but not us. We appreciate every view we get. You know what I mean? And each one of you out there listening and watching, you know, much love to y'all. Uh, we hope we bring what you need to the show. We're trying to get a nice inside scoop from fans that love the, the medium of film and TV and music and comedy and books. You know what I mean? And we try and bring you some of the most interesting people that you may know and may not know, but now you will know, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, much love and appreciation to everybody out there rocking with the boom bass, the cast. We just want to take a moment to say that. And we hope you all have a great Christmas and a happy new year. And uh, we'll catch y'all on the Christmas special. Stay tuned. Peace. Alex, you want to say anything in closing? Uh, just that. I love Karando's uh, movies, and I can't wait to see what he has uh, has in store. Karando is an equal opportunity filmmaker. That's right, equal opportunity. Uh, he, there, there is naked females and naked males in his films, and I am, uh, I'm not scared by that. Alex used to be scared by stuff like that. I remember the first time I showed Alex the Hawk, uh, Alejandro Hodorowski's Santa Sangre, starring the great Sabrina Dennison, who was also in our Insomniac short. Uh, there was a penis swinging, and he was like, can't do it. Can't do it. I think <laughs> she might not have been you. Some, some, you know, I always find it funny whenever you see, whenever there's a, a penile, you know, you got some penuckle hanging out in a film. And people get so fucking blown away by seeing it and it turns them off. And it's like, it's art, man. It's an artistic thing. It's trying to be real and raw with you. Let it in yeah. your art. Don't, don't let it kill you. You know what I mean? No, true, but I, 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 I do have to say, I do have to say, I do understand uh, women's aversion to the classic dick pics. Yeah, I, I feel you. When you don't, when you don't want to see them and they just pop up in your face, it could be an issue. Yeah, it's like, ha! Huh. Okay. <laughs> um, this is awkward. The, the, uh, the female body is way more, way more. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, beautiful yeah. than the male body. Yeah, yeah, and it's a scary sight sometimes. But we're just speaking for ourselves, of course. And uh, hell yeah, so definitely get out there, support the Boombaster cast, support Karando Mitsutaki. Love that dude, and you should too. 
And with that being said, we'll catch y'all on the next episode of Season 6 Boom Bastic Cast. Peace. Mm-hmm.